I think it was 80 women on our programme, so 80 women on board a vessel in Antarctica, which was certainly a very interesting experience in itself. Welcome to Frau Berlin, a space filled with stories of inspiring women. My name is Nadine Kessler, I'm an artist and designer based in Berlin. Today I have a very special treat for you, the inaugural Frau Berlin Antipodean episode. It was a huge pleasure to conduct the following interview in Tasmania, where I met with Dr. Karen Alexander, a Scottish marine social scientist based in Australia. She speaks about her experience of a recent trip to Antarctica as part of the Women in Leadership program Homeward Bound. We learn about a very personal way of approaching the application, leadership training for scientists, pressure cooker situations, mentorship, as well as the surprising feedback she received from her peers. Join us for a stroll along the beautiful Hobart waterfront on a late summer's day, starting from Constitution Dock, along the King's Pier Marina and passing by the historic School of Art building. Our conversation concludes near Elizabeth Street Pier, where Karen shares some excellent suggestions for anyone who wants to dive deeper into the subject. Oh, and please excuse the occasional sound-bombing seagulls in the background. Okay, the bridge is closed. That's a perfect start. So <laughs> today we're not in Berlin for a change, but um, in Hobart, Tasmania, on the other side of the planet. Um, this is a special edition of Frau Berlin in Hobart. And I've got a special person here, a woman who I found really inspiring. And welcome, Karen. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, so yes, uh, as Nadine mentioned, my name is Karen Alexander and I am a research fellow at the University of Tasmania. Um, I'm a marine social scientist, which means that I spend a lot of time doing research, looking into how humans interact with the marine environment. Um, so I spend a lot of time working with fishermen and fish farmers and people like that um, and I've been in Tasmania now for three years moved here from the west coast of Scotland and amazingly Tasmania is very similar to Scotland although the weather is much better um, so we're walking now past Kings Pier Marina and just have a quick look around here um, we're both sailors and um, like to hang out here around Christmas when the Sydney to Hobart yacht races usually arrive so I think it's a nice environment to have a quick chat. And it's fairly still today, there's not much wind. So Karen, sailing and boats is something that you've always been doing uh, in Scotland. Um, also something that you've started um, doing here in Hobart. So no, I, I've always been interested in sailing. Um, when I was in Scotland, I wanted to learn. I just never got round to it. I did every other type of marine thing you can do from diving to kayaking to swimming but never sailed there um, and when I moved to Hobart I ended up speaking to the manager of one of the local sailing clubs and happened to just mention to him that I wanted to learn to sail and he said to me come down on a Thursday evening and we'll put you on a boat and see how you get on and so that was my first experience of sailing that's pretty brave to just hop on a boat with no experience. Was that something um, that was made easy for you? Um, were you welcomed from, by the other sailors, from the boat's owners, or how was that first experience on a boat? 
That's a really good question, actually. Um, yes, I was made feel very welcome by the boat's owner because that was the person that had said he would put me on a boat. <laughs> so, yeah, I felt pretty welcome by him. But also the really great thing was that that was my, f my first time ever sailing was actually with you, Nadine. <laughs> so we both had our first night of sailing together on the same boat. Um, so, yeah, it felt really nice. There was actually three of us. Um, another girl called Anna as well, who had her... I think she'd been sailing before actually, but hadn't been in Hobart. So it was nice for the three of us all to go in the same boat at the same time for the first time. Um, I don't know about you, but it felt like a lot of fun for me. Yeah, it was certainly fun. Um, and I, I think I got the virus then and it never left. Even though I grew up on the mountains, so I had nothing to do with boats or water or the sea before that. At this stage we were at the end of the marina and one of the sailors from one of the boats was yelling at us, asking us to come over and have a beer. But uh, we've decided to continue our walk and our conversation. Since there was so much more, I wanted to ask Karen. And it was such a beautiful day. There was barely any breeze. It was lovely and warm. It was overcast and you could smell the salty air. Hobart has a long sailing tradition and the Australian icebreaker Aurora Australis is also based in Hobart. This vessel gets chartered on a regular basis by the Australian Antarctic Division which is also based in Hobart. I know that you Karen Last year, was it the year before? 2000, last year went to Antarctica and the year before you and a colleague of yours did a, a, a fundraiser for a very special sail to Antarctica or journey. Would you say it's a sail if it's a boat without sails? Or? I would say it's probably a journey rather than a sail, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and I'd love you to tell us a bit more about it. How did you hear about it and why did you want to, how did you, why did you decide to apply for that? Okay, thanks Nadine. So I took part in a program called Homeward Bound, which is a women in uh, science leadership program. And it's a year long program um, that basically is aiming to train a thousand women from around the world um, who have a science, technology, engineering or maths background to become leaders in their field. And this is in the hope that we can start to address some of the global challenges that we're facing, things like climate change and um, plastic pollution and uh, water scarcity and all sorts of big global problems. So the idea is they take about 100 of us a year and put us through a year-long training programme and then that programme culminates in a three-week trip to Antarctica. Um, so how many, how many people were able to participate in that programme? So, so far, um, we're now into the fourth year and we've had about 350 people, I think, go through the programme. I did the programme in its second year and we had, I think it was 80 women on our programme, so 80 women on board a vessel in Antarctica, which was certainly a very interesting experience in itself. Um, funnily enough, it's one that I was a bit terrified by, the thought of being in an enclosed space with 79 other women for three weeks was, was not an appealing thought amazingly but it worked out incredibly women have this amazing ability to actually listen to each other and to look out for each other and to work together and to show empathy is that something that you've learned during your trip or did you know that before oh that's definitely something i learned during the trip for sure i think when you're put in a closed contained space um of any sort, never mind in one of the most remote locations on this planet, I think you realise probably quite a lot about how humans work together, but also about yourself. 
Okay, I'm really curious because I've never done this before. Could you describe how it felt and what that remoteness meant? You know, being surrounded by water for three weeks without any land in sight? Or did you see whales? Did you see... What did you experience? Wow, okay. <laughs> Trying to condense that into five minutes is going to be pretty <laughs> tough. Um, five seconds, please. <laughs> Um, it's, so we visited the Antarctic Peninsula, so we actually spent quite a bit of time on land. We actually got to land pretty much every single day, except for when we were crossing the Drake Passage, which is the area that goes between Argentina and the Antarctic Peninsula. So we had two days at sea then, and some period of time where we couldn't actually see land. And that was quite an interesting experience, actually. You feel all of a sudden very small in the world. Um, you realise how much you rely on all of the people that are around you um, to basically stay alive. Um, you begin to really appreciate the captain of your boat <laughs> for sailing it and managing to keep the thing upright. Um, Did you get regular updates from your captain? We didn't get regular updates from the captain. We actually had an expedition leader, a uh, um, gentleman called Greg Mortimer, who was probably one of the most amazing men I've ever met in my life and he's done a lot of expeditions to Antarctica previously um, and so he would give us a daily update in terms of where we are or where what we were going to do that day what we might see um, and so that could be anything from floating ice shelves to penguins to killer whales to Antarctic research stations. Um, we saw quite a lot while we were there, actually. Um, we were very lucky. We got to stop at four or five different research stations. So we got to meet um, some Argentinians, some Chinese, some Americans, and my favorite, we went to visit the British research station, Rothera, and got to spend a day there as well. So yeah, we, we, we sounded a lot. Um, but I should point out that as well as all those amazing things, we were also working on the ship for maybe six or seven hours every single day as well, doing leadership training. And that was the purpose of getting us together on the boat. Homeward Bound projects are describing themselves as a groundbreaking leadership initiative set against the backdrop of Antarctica, which aims to heighten the influence and impact of women in making decisions that shape our planet. I was curious to hear from Karen how she learned about this project, um, what kind of process she went through to apply for it, and how she finally managed to participate in the leadership program. Um, so I first heard about the project because a mentor of mine um, had been involved in the very first programme and she gave me the advice that it was something I should really take part in. At the same time, another friend of mine from Scotland had also taken part in the first year's programme. So she was also telling me I should get involved. So I was really lucky. I had quite a few women around me that had already taken part and that gave me the incentive to think, well, They've done it, so therefore I can do it as well. Um, sometimes it's kind of difficult to have that confidence in yourself, but you, sometimes you just have to go for something. And the draw of Antarctica was enough for me to, to kind of persuade me to, to have an attempt. So in terms of what I had to do, first of all, I had to get accepted onto the programme. That involved having to submit an application, including, a, I think it was a two-minute video, um, basically <laughs> explaining why they should pick me um, for this expedition. And in that video, I decided I wanted to be a little bit different. And so I dressed up as Gandhi with a bald cap and a fake moustache. And I pretty much did the whole video dressed as Gandhi, <laughs> which was really interesting. But I think it made me stand out. So Okay, so yeah, that's, that's brilliant. That's very creative. Um, I know scientists are creative, um, but... Why did you choose Gandhi? Ah, so this was the whole basis of why, uh, why I wanted to take part in the programme, was that I firmly believe in something that Gandhi is attributed to 
having said, which is to be the change you want to see in the world. So if you want to see something happening, you have to be the person that actually goes forward and tries to make that change. And so I started off the whole video with that quote, and that was why I dressed as Gandhi. Ah, brilliant. That's, that's really great. Um, fantastic. I, I can imagine there was probably not too much um, time for you because you, you're working and then you have to prepare this um, video and... Um, was there anything um, for you that you would say that was really important that you put more time into in order to get onto the onto that program, um, or would you just say you basically you did what you could? Um, and what was it? What was um, the thing that you would, if someone else would want to do the same program, what would you recommend um, to look out for or to? pay um, attention to or emphasize on a certain point in that um, application? Okay. I think um, at the moment I'm actually in the process of giving two other women advice on oh, okay. applying for the program, <laughs> um, so that's quite a relevant question for me at the moment. Um, but the thing I think, the piece of advice I would give anybody that wanted to be involved, not only in something like this, but in any program that involves you know competitive aspects to get into is to just be yourself it's amazing how many people in the world put on a false front because they try to persuade portray themselves in a certain way in a way that people they think people want them to be mm. whereas i think a lot of the time if you actually just act yourself and be yourself people pick up on that um honesty and on that um that real, real part and the authenticity, yeah, exactly. And, and that's what people want. You know, if, if people are going to work with you over a certain period of time, that's what they want to see in you. Mm. So that's definitely, for me, I think the thing that was most important, that was why I put my complete and utter silliness into the video, because mm. that's who I am. Yeah. And, you know, if people don't like me, then they're not the right people for me to work with, yeah. you know? And I think that's, that really yeah. is the most important thing. Very grounded, yeah. Excellent. I know it was also not a program that came for free. And I know also that, you know, um, funding is quite restrictive and very competitive as well. Did you think of alternative forms of finding basically money <laughs> in order to um, take part and particip participate in this program? Yeah, absolutely. So it's quite an expensive program. It costs, or certainly did for me, cost 16,000 US dollars, which is about 20,000 Australian dollars. And that doesn't even include the flights, the cost of flights getting to Argentina and, you know, clothing, because you need spe special clothing for going to Antarctica, etc. So it ends up being a really quite expensive program. It's very worthwhile. So I don't think that's something um, that you should let put you off of being involved in the program but um yes it is expensive so we had to not having that money personally um quite a few of us had to actually come up with new ways in which to raise the money for taking part in the program um i did the normal thing of going to the university and asking them for money and they gave me a little bit um i also did the normal thing of going to businesses and asking them for money and I got some money that way as well, um, sponsorship corporate or? sponsorship. Yeah. Yep. yeah. What, what, did they, what did you have to do for that? Or did they just give you their logo which you stuck on your clothing or, yeah. Yeah, pretty, pretty much that. So I was really lucky in the job that I do as a marine social scientist, I actually work quite closely with a couple of different types of industry. And so I just went to people that I knew that I worked with and said, I'm doing this program, can you help? And we offered a few different things for that. We offered to take their logos down and take photographs of their logos in Antarctica. Mm -hmm. um, and where, where were these images used then? Um, that's a really good question. I'm not sure if they have been used at all. I think I got the feeling that for, for the people that worked with me and that, that sponsored me, they were more happy to do it for my benefit rather than for their benefit. Mm -hmm. So they didn't really demand very much of me, um, even though... I offered quite a lot. Um, one of the companies I did actually speak to, 
um, in Western Australia. They're based in Western Australia. So I did speak to one of their employees in terms of providing information about leadership and having a bit of a discussion about leadership. So I kind of offered that almost in a mentoring mm. role. Um, yeah. That was something that I had offered. Um, we also basically knocked on every single business door in the whole of Hobart. Um, we would take, I, I, I worked with another colleague, Justine, who was also in the programme. Um, we were both based in Hobart. And so we would take Friday afternoons off work and we would go and knock on doors around Hobart, which wow. was wow. a pretty terrifying yeah. experience. Yeah. Um, I can imagine. Yeah. And then we also held events. And this was where we actually got to be a bit more creative and a bit more fun. So we held a women's business networking lunch in um, Parliament uh, House mm -hmm. uh, in town. And that was sponsored by... Um, sponsored by one of the MPs, um, which was really nice. Yeah. And the most fun thing, and I get excited about this because it was my baby, but we also had an art science exhibition where we basically invited any woman who had a science background, but who was also an artist to donate pieces of art to our exhibition. Um, so that was really amazing because a, I'm a scientist, I've never done an art yeah. exhibition before. Yeah. Um, so it was a little bit terrifying having to learn all of the things that you have to do as an artist, like p coming up with a concept for the um, mm. exhibition and, mm. you know, designing posters and mm. actually curating the art. Um, I learnt how to hang paintings, which I've never done before in my life. Yeah. Um, so that was just a really interesting experience and it was amazing how many scientists also are artists. For me that was the really interesting thing realising that artists and scientists are actually often trying to do the same thing. They're yeah. both trying to explain the world yeah. but just in different ways. I'm pretty certain that Karen's enthusiasm and joy for her work played a major role in the success of her fundraising. She seems to be prepared to go far beyond any expectations in order to achieve her goals. Her humble personality and down-to-earth attitude is quite refreshing. Now that she has told us how she has managed to get into the Homeward Bound program, I'm curious to learn about the actual teachings and the structure of the leadership program. Who are the people behind the program? providing leadership and strategic skills to enable the participants to establish their networks and strengthen their abilities for a sustainable future. Okay, so that's a good question in terms of who the project leaders were. Um, Homeward Bound has a really interesting history in terms of how it came about. So it was actually developed um, primarily by two women. Um, one woman uh, is called Jess Melbourne Thomas and she works for CSI Rule, which is the Australian Government um, Research Organisation and she's an Antarctic scientist um, and then the other woman um, is a woman called Fabian Datner who is actually a consultant based in Melbourne who does a lot of leadership training and the story behind the whole programme is that one night um, Phoebe had a dream. This literally sounds really cheesy, but the whole program came out of the whole I had a dream thing. And she did, she had a dream, and she had a dream that she was taking a hundred women to Antarctica on a boat and teaching them leadership training. And in her dream, she actually saw a flag flying um, with the name Homeward Bound on it. Um, and so the whole thing, <laughs> the whole thing came about about a dream. And so, because it was um, because she had this dream about taking women to Antarctica, um, that's why she got in touch with Jess, and together they devised the program, and it kind of built up from there. So I guess Jess is no longer um, as involved in the program. She has two very young children and many other things to get on with at the moment. But Fabi is still very, very much at the helm of the project and still leading it. Um, along with an amazing other bunch of women who change every year. So it's a really interesting project from that perspective as well. So we had a lot of different mentors on the boat. Mm -hmm. um, 
The other really interesting thing about the programme is that it actually brings together women from all stages of their careers. So we had women who were very early on in their career, maybe doing a master's or a PhD, right up to women who were leading centres, who were professors. We even on our trip had a Nobel Prize winner, which was pretty cool, Susan. She was a really interesting character. What did she win the Nobel Prize for? Ah, she was part of the group that discovered gravitational waves two years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, she was a physicist and, and yeah, very interesting lady. And she actually gave us a talk on the boat about the whole process of discovering gravitational waves. But we had an amazing mix of women on board as well. You know, we had um, vets and we had um, psychiatrists and we had marine scientists and we had soil scientists and, you know, just a huge... so. Even though we were all quite often at did different stages, on board? we all didn't. Scientists. All scientists, yeah. Um, creative scientists. Cre- yes, lots of creative scientists. So almost one year before the participants went down to Antarctica, they had received um, training to prepare for the trip and to also get to know each other. I asked Karen to elaborate on that process a little bit more, and I was curious about the experience she had. The Homeward Bound programme is really structured. Um, it's a year-long programme, so you actually start doing the training way, way, way before you even get on board the boat. Um, because it's with women all around the world, that makes it much more interesting. So um, they tend to run two meetings a month um, online. And so that was how we would sort of um, get the first part of our training done. It would be all delivered online. We would maybe have 40 women on each call. So you can imagine that's quite interesting trying to manage a meeting of 40 women. Um, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but it's But it's very structured. So there are certain things that we got taught about um, on the programme. Um, things like um, visibility. So um, the programme is very much of the belief that it's, it's very difficult to take a high role in leadership. When we're talking about these global problems I was talking about earlier, you really need to be a visible person to be heard. Um, and so a lot, of, a lot of the training is around visibility. Um, we had... Can you explain it a little bit um, more? What does visibility mean in that case? Ah, okay. I mean, I guess visibility means different things to different people. And it was... To, to an extent, it was left up to us to determine what visibility was for us. So it might have been, for example, in my case, I realised I wanted to build, work on building my networks and being physically visible to people, actually meeting new people. But I also wanted to be more visible on social media, for example. Um, I wanted to learn how to actually get into traditional media sources. So how do I get into the newspaper or how do I get onto TV or, you know, things like that. But yeah. Very much a PR side of things, yeah. But also, or at least that was a part of it. Another part of the, of the visibility thing was being visible to ourselves. And so a big part of the process, there was actually a lot of self-reflection. Mm-hmm. So um, we actually, we did um, journaling, reflective journaling on a daily basis. This was a practice that we were sort of urged to do. Um, from the start of the programme. So the idea was that we were constantly reflecting on what leadership was to us, what we were learning in the programme. Um, And so being visible to yourself and to understanding why you were doing this and and what your aims were was another really big part too. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you looked at visibility and it's interesting because you say it it was very structured, but within this structure you had quite a freedom to learn and to decide for yourself what part of what kind of leader you want to be I guess in the long long run but also what parts you want to to work on and want to reflect upon and probably also want to get some feedback from from others was there any um, surprise that happened within that program that reflect something reflected that you didn't know about yourself, something that um, was maybe not a big surprise, but maybe something that you thought, oh, I didn't know I have this skill, or this skill is something that is really prominent to others, but not to me. Okay, that's such a fabulous question. Um, Not because I discovered any new skills that I didn't know I had, but I did discover a lot of things about myself that I didn't know. 
Um, so as part of the programme, we actually did quite a lot of um, leadership diagnostics, so different tests to help us identify what, how we performed as a leader, if that makes sense. And so one of these processes was um, you do a, a, a series of questions about yourself and about how you think you lead, and then this is sent out to eight of your colleagues and they answer the same questions about you. So you get feedback on how you perceive yourself and feedback on how others perceive you. Mm. And so for me, one of the things I found out and it terrified me <laughs> was that um, I am extremely competitive and I'm extremely approval seeking. So I have something that in this particular diagnostic tool they call a um, salesman's bow tie because apparently if you want to be a good salesman you have to want people to like you so that you can sell them something but you also have to be exceptionally competitive so for me this was fascinating because my my father's side of the family has this long history of salesmen in oh, it okay. <laughs> and and i worked as a salesperson for quite oh. a while as well knocking on doors doing door-to-door -door sales that's why you were so successful in fundraising <laughs> yeah, maybe that was it um so yeah so for me that was absolutely fascinating and absolutely terrifying because that was how i perceived myself but none of the other people that answered the questionnaires about me perceived me in that way they thought I was a much better leader. They didn't see me as being competitive in a negative way or, comp or, or s approval seeking in a negative way, which was something I perceived about myself. So going through the process actually made me realize how negatively I view myself. And for me, that was a huge shock to the system. As we are walking along the Hobart waterfront, um, we already see quite a few wooden boats that are getting ready for the Wooden Boat Festival, a three-day festival with a holiday attached to it, which is, has quite a long tradition in Tasmania. So this made me curious about the vessel that Karen and the participants of the program took. I want to go back to Karen's experience hopping on an icebreaker and going down to Antarctica. Um, it was not the Aurora Australis. Um, that's the icebreaker that's here, based in Hobart. Um, what kind of boat was it that you went on? So we actually went on a boat that had been converted into a tourist cruise vessel, but originally was a research vessel owned by the um, National Oceanographic an atmospheric administration in America. So um, they had it as a research vessel for many years and the boat is now down in Argentina and has been converted into a very small tourist cruise boat. And when you see it next to normal sized cruise boats in Ushuaia in Argentina, it looks like a rowboat. It was terrifying, <laughs> so small. <laughs> but you survived, you came back and um, you had these amazing mentors in this program you did say that you six to seven you worked six to seven hours per day every day um, and you started with self with the reflection of um, your own leadership skills in the beginning and what the um, your colleagues were saying about your skills and what you were thinking about your own skills that you have or might not have after that feedback, what did you decide to go ahead with? So as part of that um, diagnostic process, we were actually assigned coaches um, as well who helped us work through those. So I spent quite a lot of time speaking to my coach about this approval seeking behavior and competitive behavior and trying to figure out how to get around that. So those were the two things that I decided, uh, because I'd got such a shock, they were the two things I decided I really wanted to work on for myself. Um, and so we had quite a lot of chats about things to do to deal with these particular behaviours. Um, one of them, one of the things that really sticks in my head in terms of the approval um, seeking behaviour and dealing with that was my coach suggested that I try and do things that are against social norms 
So, for example, to go out to a restaurant and steal food off someone else's plate. You know, the sorts of things that you wouldn't normally do because you don't want to, you know, look like an idiot. <laughs> so these are the sorts of behaviours that we, we tried to introduce. But how, how do you do that on a boat? Oh, well, so no, this was working before we got on oh, the boat. Okay. Yeah, yeah, oh, so right. this was okay. still stuff. Yeah. It's easy to grab pe food off people when you're on a boat. <laughs> you're so much closer. <laughs> but you never grabbed uh, food off my plate. At least I didn't um, <laughs> realise that you did. Where did you do that? Maybe, Maybe I'm just really quick and uh, didn't maybe. notice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what was the point of stealing food from other people's plates? So the, p the point is that it gets you out of the mindset of not doing things because they are the right behavior what you see as being the right behavior yeah. a lot of approval seeking behavior um happens because you want to be seen to behave in a particular way um in a way that is acceptable to other people so you very much pander to what other people want and things like stealing food off people's plates <laughs> they generally don't want you to do that <laughs> what were your reactions Oh, nobody saw me. All <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> it was only me that knew that I was doing it. <laughs> After having prepared for almost a year, I was really curious to hear how the experience on the boat was, how when finally everyone came together in person, how that has intensified perhaps, or how um, that has changed the leadership program or has it culminated in an event that was bigger than she has anticipated or how was it to be actually on the boat with all the participants and going down to Antarctica? It was a very intense experience. Um, it was, for me, it was an incredibly difficult experience being in that position um, because naturally believe it or not I'm an introvert and so having I to be <laughs> I really that, ha having to be around people all the time I find really exhausting mm -hmm. um, and even on a boat like that you're sharing a cabin with another person so you never really have any time to yourself it's very difficult to, to find time um, to recharge mm. um, also, one of the other things I find is that as an introvert, I am not good at um, responding to things straight away. I need to be able to go away and process and come back. Mm. And part, part of the way that the programme was run was very much a bang, bang, bang. Mm -hmm. We want a response now. How do you feel about this? What do you think about this? And, and my brain doesn't go fast enough for that. Mm. And so I really struggled. And so there was a few occasions that I actually had to go to them and say, look, I'm really sorry, but this doesn't work for me. Mm. And um, Fabian, the, the leader, um, after I spoke to her one day, she actually said to me, thank you so much for telling me that because I'm an extrovert. She says, it doesn't occur to me that this is a problem. Mm. But the fact that you're experiencing it means that probably a, at least a third of the boat is also experiencing mm. the same thing. It's interesting. It's interesting you say that because I have a similar way of working. All of a sudden, when you have to work with that many people in a very enclosed space, like I said earlier, I think you, you realise a lot of things about yourself that you maybe didn't realize before because you're put into this pressure cooker where everybody's learning things about themselves mm. and people have not just different ways of that's learning really but good, um, um, that's a really good way of describing it a pressure cooker <laughs> it's not just the boat it's a pressure cooker but also for yourself yeah this pressure cooker yeah yeah exactly and 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 it's a pressure cooker of 80 other women that are going through the same thing as you and so you can imagine that a lot of the time emotions are running high, there was a lot of tears on the boat, we had a lot of um, interesting learning experiences that we didn't expect. Um, so for example we had one situation where the boat got stopped from where we wanted it to go by ice and um, the only way to get to where we wanted to go to was to go back out into open sea but we had about five women on board who were extremely seasick and couldn't cope with being out in open sea and so there was just discussions going on between the captain and the expedition leader about you know what do we do do we go back out to open sea so we can get down to this place or do we not or and eventually they brought it down to a vote with the women 
So we all had a vote and something like 95 of us voted to go and five people didn't. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they made the decision not to go because we either all go or none of us go. Okay. Right? Yeah. So which which now looking back on it, I feel is was the right decision. Yeah. But at the time, I was, it was the only time I burst into tears because I really wanted to go to where we were discussing, you know. Mm. And because it was this high pressure thing, yeah. normally that wouldn't be enough to actually set me in tears. Yeah. But I literally, that minute, burst into tears on the boat. <laughs> so it is this yeah. really pressurised yeah. yeah. thing. But, yeah. but you just learn, because you're in that pressurised situation, you learn so much more about yourself and about working with other people really quickly and about how to deal with other people mm. in a compassionate and empathetic way, which I think when it comes to leadership is actually exceptionally important. I was just going to ask you what are your top five leadership skills that you think are the most important and most valuable for you? Not necessarily something that you've learned on your trip, but something that you just value maybe in other leaders that um, might have been mentors for you or just leaders you look up to and who are they <laughs> <laughs> oh that's a harder question well okay so the first one i'll give you is probably a bit of a weird one but um this was something i learned when i was very young from my dad um and i remember him telling me that i was a very talkative child and you know nothing's changed <laughs> i still talk a lot But my dad, when I was little, told me that you have two ears and one mouth, and so you should always do twice the amount of listening as you do talking. And that's something I've held with me throughout my whole life. Mm -hmm. And I think that as a leader, that is an exceptionally important skill. I think being able to listen actively to what other people say um, is something that every leader needs not just should have but actually needs in order to be able to do the job well so that's my dad that's my number one, okay, number, one. We've got number, one. <laughs> number one number two oh leader top leadership skills um again linked to the being able to listen i think is is empathy the need for empathy the need to understand what other people are going through or at least to try to understand um unless you can do that How, how do you deal with difficult situations, with bringing people together when they don't necessarily have the same world view? Um, if you want to lead, leading's not just about managing, it's about actually bringing others along on a journey with you. And if you want to be able to do that, you need to understand different people's different world views. That's a very important point. Um, leadership is not just about managing, it's about more than that. Mm. And what do you think the most important point is the difference between managing and being a really good leader? I think with managing, you're in a position of power where you can just tell people what to do and expect them to do what you tell them to do. I think there's an element of that in managing. I think being a leader that's not going to work. Like, you can't just say, this is what you should do. Follow me, I'm the person that knows it. Mm. It's, it's a really different thing. It's about... Well, you can say it. Well, you can say it, yeah, but the chances are it's not going to work. <laughs> um, so for me, I think that's probably the main difference. Leadership is about bringing others along, about um, helping them to understand the vision that you're all trying to achieve. Mm. And I think as a manager, that bit's missing from the role. I think managers have really important roles, um, making sure that their team are achieving whatever company's goals are required to be achieved, that they're able uh, to do their jobs properly. I think there's a whole bunch of things that managers need to do, but it's much less about bringing them along on that journey. Okay, thank you. So now we come to point number three. Point number three. Oh. This is difficult. <laughs> um, I think I think being a leader, this is a personal thing, so this is not something that I've been taught or that somebody said to me. This is more a personal belief. I think that if you want to be a leader, then you have to have a strong sense of what your own beliefs and values are. Um, I think you can't become a leader 
just making anything up and saying let's go with this i think you have to have a real strong conviction that what you're doing and the way that you think it should be done is the right way to do it mm. and and a reason why you can't just sort of pull anything out of the air um so i think knowing what your own values are that was one of the other things we did in the program actually we did a value mapping exercise okay. where we had to identify what our top values were for three different areas of our lives and for me three really interesting values came up that were really unsurprising actually one of them was connection connection is really important for me another one was adventure which is really unsurprising and the third one was making a difference and so they were my three top values and and knowing what they are has allowed me to then develop what my personal vision is for what i want to do with my life and how to start going about mm. achieving that. Yeah. Um, we're walking past the water now, again, probably for the last time tonight, towards Salamanca. Um, the CSIRO has buildings just alongside here on the Hobart Wharf. And Karen used to have one of those offices. She used to sit in one of those offices, a beautiful view to the eastern shore. We can't see the mountain today, it's covered in clouds, but um, Hobart has a long tradition um, of seafarers and boats are just part of everyone's history in one way or another. And just traveling on the water is something that we rarely do these days, except we live on an island or we have to take a ferry every now and then or we sailors and love sailing, or we're scientists. But what do you think is the quality of traveling on, on water? What's the quality that um, compared to other ways of traveling that you appreciate? Oh, I think, I think traveling by boat has so many qualities. Um, the first and most important one being that a lot of the time you're in fresh air. I think, you know, you travel by train or you travel by car or plane and you're stuck inside. Mm. Whereas sailing or being on a boat of any sort, whether it's a motorboat or a yacht, you're in the open air mostly. You're getting fresh air, you're out in the element. And I think that's actually just good for the soul in general. I think that, that having fresh air around your head is so important. Um, you have that on a bike, but you can't travel that <laughs> That's true, that's true. I think, well, the other amazing thing about being on a boat, right, is that you get to go places where you can't go by any other transport. Mm, you know, yeah, you get to go and explore point. new beaches and yeah. hidden coves and yeah. see bits of coastline that nobody else gets to see. That's where your adventurous side comes through. <laughs> I can see yes. that. <laughs> so now that... Um, we slowly wrap up our interview and I'm so grateful that you took the time because you're super busy and um, we just, we, Karen was invited as a keynote speaker in Melbourne this week and just came back from the US. So I really appreciate having that short interview with you. And so at the very end, I would love to ask you two questions. Okay. So one question is, um, which two women were influential for you? Who, who are the two women that you would say they're really inspiring and they have been inspiring in your life? And the second question is, are there any books or is there a book that um, you could recommend um, that is also something that inspired you um, for your work or in general or life in general? Oh, wow. All the difficult questions tonight, Nadine. <laughs> um, women who have inspired me. You know, the first woman that actually really inspired me was my auntie. Um, so my dad's sister, Fiona, she, when I was a young child, I used to love going and seeing uh, her and my uncle Colin because they were big adventurers. They were big travelers. They'd traveled all around the world to just places that weren't really on my radar, like South Africa and, my uncle was a cricket reporter, so they'd go to India and um, they went to all these places. And, and Fiona has continued to inspire me throughout my life, partly because of the traveling, because 
Um, over the last few years, her and Colin have still gone back to India every couple of years and worked in an orphanage um, and done some really amazing things. Um, and also just because she's an incredible woman. She's so empathetic, she's so loving, and um, I think that's always just a great person to have in your life. Mm, yeah, wonderful. So I guess Fiona's probably one of the big ones. Yeah. Um, in terms of the sort of bigger, well-known names in the world of people that can be inspiring, I guess, um, for me, this is, a, this is a well-known name. It might not be for your <laughs> listeners. Um, but one of them is Sylvia Earle, who is a really big name in marine conservation. Um, she was one of the first women that ever uh, lived underwater doing research. Um, she was sort of uh, around about the same time. She's still alive, but she was, you know, similar to Jacques Cousteau is probably. She's like right. the female equivalent of yeah, Jacques Cousteau. Yeah, yeah. She's still a very big name in marine conservation. And I think just in terms of her role of raising the importance of us looking after um, the oceans, I think uh, she's played an amazing role and yeah. has certainly inspired me to do yeah. my job. Yeah, great. And then the other one was a book? And yeah, so the last oh. question, um, if you can think of a book, it can be a book about philosophy, it can be a book about marine science, or I have no idea, maybe a fictional book that inspired you to travel or, yeah, just, um, I don't know. Anything that comes to mind doesn't have to be super complicated. Just probably the first book that comes to mind is the book. <laughs> okay, so I'm a huge reader, so there's been a lot of books in my life. But the one that comes to mind straight away, largely because we've been talking about leadership, um, is a book called um, Playing Big by Tara Moore. Um, and that's definitely one that I would recommend for any woman that wants to learn about becoming a leader. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Karen. This was brilliant. Thanks so much. I hope the recording uh, has worked a lot better than last time, um, which was in Tiergarten, but um, fingers crossed. Um, yeah, thanks so much. I'm really glad that we found the time to do this. Um, and yeah, I'm curious to hear more in, I don't know, a few years time to see where the leadership training has brought you and, and I wish you all the best for that. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nadine, for having me. Thanks so much for listening into the first Antipodean Frau Berlin episode. I'm very glad that Karen took the time and I hope there was something inspiring in it for you as well. Stay tuned. I have no idea when the next um, episode will be recorded, but I hope it will be soon. And you might have some tips for me if there is a woman in your life that you think is very inspiring, has some inspiring things to say or a story that we should record. Let me know. I'm very curious to hear it. And until then, goodbye from Hobart, Tasmania, and see you back in Berlin.